Hello, and welcome to Scapegoat. This is our first episode, and I am your host, Luke. In this week's episode, we're going to look at violent video games, and do violent video games cause violence? But first, we're going to look at what does scapegoat actually mean, and where do scapegoats come from? start off what a scapegoat actually means, have you ever been blamed for something that you haven't done? It's a common experience for most people. I remember being disciplined in school for breaking something that my friend actually broke, and I remember in my adulthood being blamed for something that my boss actually did. If this has happened to you, you've been scapegoated. A scapegoat is a person or organization which is accused of causing a problem that they're actually not responsible for. Whether they accept responsibility or not, their name will forever be associated with the accusation. This podcast will speak to about different people, groups and organizations which have been accused of causing problems and will put forward if they are really responsible or if they have been scapegoated. Before entering violent video games, we're also going to talk about a brief history of scapegoats and why do people blame goats? Are goats secretly history's greatest villains or are they just an animal blamed for looking a little bit shifty? Well, it goes back 4,500 years ago in ancient Syria, where at Elba, the king wanted to do a ritual for his wedding. He wanted to get rid of all the sins in his community and get rid of all the bad luck. And he did this by getting a silver necklace and putting it around a goat's neck, then just chasing the goat out, out of town. So the goat was running away and he said, there goes all the sin and bad luck. Now, later in ancient Greece, they didn't actually use goats. They used the poor people in society. So imagine cripples or beggars or criminals. And they cast them out of the community, beat them up, sometimes killed them. And they did this for varying reasons, such as a response to a natural disaster, for instance, a plague, a famine, or an invasion. Or they did this because of uh, results of their calendars. If their calendar said it was a new year, they thought, hmm, let's get rid of all the bad luck. Let's chase these evil people out of town. Now, the reason why we still use the term scapegoat, the term that we use in English, goes back to the Jewish faith. So what the Jews did was they got red wool, they, they pinned it all over a goat, and this was to represent the sins of all the villagers, and they chased it out into the desert. Now, this was mentioned in both the Torah and the Bible in Leviticus. This is when Aaron wanted to go see God, but he was seen as not pure enough. So he was given instruction on how to reach God, how to be pure, and how to get atonement. So this is a direct quote from Leviticus 16.10. Goat was chosen by Lot as a scapegoat and shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for the making of atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Now, thinking about it, I actually think using literal scapegoats would actually be quite cool. You get someone or a goat, and generally you say, all my blame is on that goat, and let's just chase it away. Imagine you are $10,000 in debt, and you just said, well, I bought this goat and chased it away. There goes all my debt. If they couldn't catch the goat, you were debt-free. I think that'd be quite cool. Now, there's two terms which are actually quite similar to scapegoat, and they're also from the Abrahamic religions, which are Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. These are the terms martyr and sacrificial lamb. A martyr is similar to a scapegoat, but not quite the same. So a martyr is someone who dies for their belief. Imagine old Christian martyrs like St. Stephen or St. Peter, or even going up to Mary, Queen of Scots, someone who died for their faith. But this isn't actually the way it's really used nowadays. People don't have to die to be a martyr. 
to be a martyr, you just have to suffer for something that you believe in. Some people could even say he's a bit of a martyr for supporting the Chicago Cubs because they didn't win for so long. So they, that could have been described as a martyr. But a martyr has a good bit of a belief system. So they believe in something. Well, scapegoat is just the person who this is pinned on. Being a martyr is something that you know you can see as being honorable. Or being a scapegoat is just like the first patsy someone sees and says, hmm, that person, he looks like he'll take the blame. The second term, sacrificial lamb, is a person who is sacrificed for the common good. So imagine losing a pawn to win a game of chess. So a sacrificial lamb can either be done with the person knowing they're being a sacrificial lamb. Imagine Jesus who died on the cross. Jesus died because he knew he was taking on the sins of other people. So he's literally being a sacrificial lamb. Or imagine a friend who puts themselves in danger to give you enough time to get away. So they're sacrificing themselves for a kind of noble cause, almost being a martyr. While it can also be a little bit negative depending on the person who decides. If you've got a president and he's deeply in trouble and he decides, "Mm, I don't want to go to jail. I'm going to blame this all on my aid. I am the greater good. I'm the important one. I can't go to jail. This aid needs to go to jail. If he blames the aid and the aid goes to jail and the aid doesn't go willingly, then he's pretty much been turned into a sacrificial lamb and a scapegoat, which wouldn't be very fun, but uh, it happens in politics. So we're talking about video games this week. Video games is actually a large topic where there actually have been historically a lot of scapegoats. For instance, the E.T. game on Atari, which people blamed for the collapse of the video game industry. It's actually an interesting subject with like cartridges buried in the desert, people blaming Steven Spielberg and all sorts of weird stuff. We'll reach it at a different time. It's well worth looking into if you want to. So what we're going to talk about today is strictly, do violent video games make people violent? Or is it a scapegoat for a deeper underlying problem in society? So the way that the podcast is going to describe this is first we're going to put forward the narrative that you've probably heard about violent video games. We're going to go over popular news stories. We're just going to show why people might believe this. Then we're going to go to the section after and we're going to give people just a little bit more facts about the stories so they might not have heard. We'll let people make up their own mind. I've already made up my own mind, but I'll try and be impartial. But you might hear my bias the way through this. If you can work it out, (laughs) it's not that hard. The first video games came out in 1958, which is almost 60 years ago. So they've been around for a long time and they've been in different formats. So the first video games were really just giant cabinets made out of wood or plastic and people put money in them to play games. The first really popular one came out in 1972 and was called Pong. And people would just visit these cabinets, which were all over the place, like in supermarkets or even in the Quickie Mart and the Simpsons, like just general laundromats, just all over the place. You could find one of these machines and you put in 20 pence in the UK or you put in a quarter in America and you play the game. Now, the first really controversial video game for violence came out in 1976 and was called Death Race and was based off the movie Death Race 2000. For those who haven't seen the movie, it's a Sylvester Stallone movie, where the national sport in America is to drive people over, to run over pedestrians. This game was based off that. So it was a cabinet where you had a steering wheel attached. You were in charge of a car. The aim of the game was to run over pedestrians for points. Now, to try and get the game out of trouble, they said the pedestrians were gremlins, so they weren't actually people. But few people were fooled, and it was seen as a very violent video game. 
Now, the television show 60 Minutes ran a piece on the psychology of this game, saying, The psychological effect of video games are terrible on the nation's children! You know, psychological effects of video games were very bad on people. This is very negative. So, with the press, the amount of orders for the cabinets went up from about 1,000 to 10,000. So the video game makers were like, Way, we've made money, but it was quickly cancelled. So they only made 500, so the video game makers ended up losing. You can find the game on a ROM online if you want to play it. Well, it's not really that good, so I wouldn't really do that. Continuing onwards, in 1982, the Surgeon General of the United States, uh, Everett C. Coop, came out and suggested that video games had no merit and offered little in the way of anything constructive to young people. So there was a growing scandal about the way young people would play video games. They were still play paying money, so they're still putting quarters into machines. And people said kids were skipping school to play these games, and kids were stealing money from their parents, and it's the worst thing to happen to youth, and everything's going badly. And they said, like, video game arcades are like a den of infamy and sin, and these are bad. So this kind of continued the status quo, and everything was kind of seen video games as kind of negative. And slowly, over the rest of the 80s, people started to get video games in their homes more and more and more. So the popularity of things like the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES, or the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, the SNES, or the Sega, whatever, they generally became popular, so people started having video games in their homes. And as the decade continued, the amount of like graphical fidelity also increased. Games where you were just knocking one white pixel into another white pixel weren't really what people were playing anymore. They were playing games where you could actually see characters, and you could see what happened to them, and you could see blood. So people started questioning video games a lot more. In 1993, in December, just before Christmas, Senator Joe Lieberman came out, and he released a statement saying that he believed that video games potentially harm children's minds. He was flanked by a children's television host who also said video games are the worst thing for children, and the PTA, who also questioned the use of video games. This all went to a head the next week when there was a Senate hearing on video games where Joe Lieberman and two other Democratic senators questioned the use of video games and how children were using them. He questioned two video games, Mortal Kombat and Night Trap. Mortal Kombat you've probably played is just like a beat-em-up video game which was quite violent at the time. There was blood in the game. You could do fatalities such as ripping someone's head off or splitting someone in two. It was quite a violent video game. And the other game was Night Trap, which will use Joe Lieberman's own words, which was a game set in a sorority house where girls were attacked by men with hooks who wanted to steal their blood. And the aim of the game was to try and trap these women. So it sounds pretty terrible. Senator Dorgan, who was also there, the other Democratic senator, accused these games of glorifying violence, particularly against women. So Night Trap, because it was set in a sorority house, people said, no, video games are using violence against women. This is huge. This is scandalous. How can this exist? Although it was aimed to kind of say, why are children playing these games? Throughout the hearing, people started saying, why are adults playing these games? And Lieberman said, if I had my choice, I would ban all these games. The Senate selected experts to speak about this, and all of them were anti-video games and said things like, if my teenage daughter was dating a boy who played video games, I would kick him away. And I would say, get away, you're not allowed to date my daughter. Video games are a cancer. And they had two representatives of the video game industry from Sega and Nintendo. 
Saga, who distributed Mortal Kombat and Night Trap, generally took a lot of abuse and said, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not to blame. We've got our own code to stop bad things happening. We've got a rating system. And the other company, Nintendo, really started stabbing them in the back, saying, our version of Mortal Kombat doesn't have blood, and we don't sell Night Trap. Sega is evil, not video games, Sega. Generally, the whole thing was a little bit messed up, but it ended up creating the ESRB, which is the video games rating system in America and Canada. People generally just started to see video games as being more of a problem, so it was very publicized that video games is a big problem. The next day after the hearing was actually a very iconic day in video game history. It's when one of the most popular games of all time came out. This game was called Doom, and Doom was an FPS shooter where you went and you shot demons in hell and generally killed them. It wasn't the first FPS, that was a Wolfenstein 3D, but it was probably the most popular, especially in that era, because within two years it was estimated 20 million people had played the game and it had been ported to at least 13 different systems. The game was massively controversial because of its violence. It was very gory. It's actually quite fun to play still. Yeah, if you shot someone, their entire body would explode into blood. The satanic imagery, because you're fighting demons, people said, this game promotes Satanism. I don't really get the connection between Satanism and shooting demons, but these people thought, mm, if you shoot demons, maybe you might be friends of demons tomorrow. The same way after playing Call of Duty that I want to become a Nazi. Come, we're going to bring forward the character of Jack Thompson. And Jack Thompson was a lawyer and an activist, and he had previously went against things that affected traditional family values. He had went against Howard Stern, saying Howard Stern is like a really terrible man. He was like a shock jock in the 90s, you've probably heard of. He said, rap music is evil because, you know, they've got all these songs which are against the police and killing cops. And so video games was his latest crusade because the other ones hadn't really stuck. The first thing he did was in 1997, he sued Midway, the makers of Doom, and 25 other entertainment companies and they blamed them for the death of three girls who'd been shot in a school shooting in 1997. And he said Doom was directly connected, and he sued them, trying to make a lot of money, and people were aware of this lawsuit, people were very interested in the outcome. In 1999, the game would again be tied to tragic events, this time in Columbine. So Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold on the 20th of April 1999 killed 15 people in their school and in Harris's diary he stated that the killing would be like playing Doom and a shotgun would be straight out of the game. There was also strong rumours that the boys had built a level in Doom which looked just like their high school, populated by representations of Harris's classmates and teachers. When Harris, in planning the shooting, had played this game for hundreds of hours, practicing this level. So again, Jack Thompson came out and sued on behalf of the families, saying, These games are all video games. All video games are murder simulators. And he also quoted that, In school shootings, we find the kids that pull the triggers are video gamers. He strongly started to associate everything bad that happened with video games. He was like a constant talking head on American television saying, I'll tell you, video games are evil and we need to stop this. I've actually never heard Jack Thompson's voice. I just imagine he speaks like some sort of weird evangelical preacher. And I'm not willing to look it up. As you can probably guess with the popularity of Grand Theft Auto, this became an easy target for Jack, saying that they were the worst. They were absolutely the worst and he was trying to get them banned. Now, Grand Theft Auto was never really banned in the UK and America. 
but it was partially banned in Australia. By partially banned, the games were released, but they sometimes had to be heavily edited. Another Rockstar game called Manhunt ended up being banned in New Zealand. The next year, Postal 2 was also banned in New Zealand. So there's starting to be a way that video games are increasingly at the risk of being banned. Now, in 2003 in Alabama, the 18-year-old called Devin Moore shot free police officers when they tried to arrest him for having a stolen car charge. Moore claimed that it was down to the frequency that he had played Grand Theft Auto and he was suffering post-traumatic stress, so this is the reason why he did the shooting. He even came out with a quote saying, Life is like a video game and sometimes you die. People start being like, oh goodness, this is definite proof that violent video games cause violence. And again, Jack Thompson, on behalf of the family, decided to sue Take-Two, which the publishers of the game, and Rockstar, the makers of the game, saying, Boy, howdy, I'm gonna stick these charges to you like a pig on mud. Again, that's not a direct quote or what he sounds like, but just how I imagine he probably would. Now, in the United Kingdom, there had also been growing tensions against video games. Michael Howard, who had been the Home Secretary from about 1994, had also gone against violent video games in the same way. They weren't to the same extent a pariah as they were seen in American culture, but they were seen as negative. There was a very seminal event in 2004, which was the tragic death of Stefan Pirka, who was murdered in a brutal fashion with a hammer and a knife. The victim's family blamed the video game Manhunt, which we mentioned before was banned in New Zealand, but it's a game where prisoners brutally murder each other in a prison, and the aim of the game is to make the deaths as brutal as possible. So they associated this hammer and knife attack with that, and the family said that they often saw their son and their son's friend, the killer, with this game and playing it. They said, no, this game is directly involved with our son's death. So this was widely reported in the media. It was the game Manhunt was removed from shelves all over the UK and abroad. Jack Thompson again released a statement saying he was going to represent the family, and this time he was going to sue Sony for fifty million pounds, directly blaming them for the death. Here we're gonna stop the narrative. We're gonna continue it a little bit later, but we're gonna stop it in two thousand five and we're gonna talk a little about why this might have been a scapegoat. So there are several factors in this narrative which I have withheld from you. We're going to talk about them. We're going to see if this changes your mind to are violent video games responsible for violence. Before the Senate hearing in 1993, it's important to note that before video games were even popular, there had been an increasing murder rate. And by 1987, the murder rate was increasing by about 5% each year. In 1992, the year before, there had been a huge crime wave all over the United States with the LA riots over Rodney King lasting for six days, killing 58 people and injuring 2,000 people. Crime was on people's minds. Also, there was a change in the way that the media were reporting crimes. There had been a lot of sensationalism in the ways that crimes were reported. Previously, in the 70s, they would just report a crime, but now it was becoming very targeted. People were desperately trying to find out what was the cause of these crimes, and they were blaming everything from hair metal to violent videos. The news was feverishly trying to find a new target. Just before the Senate hearing, there was the report of the kidnapping of murder of Paula Klaas, which was massive in the US news, and the day before, there was a mass shooting in Long Island by a commuter train that killed five people and wounded 23. Both were mentioned by Lieberman in the Senate hearing. People were looking for answers. I mean, there was also problems that 
people were looking for any scapegoat. The year before, George H.W. Bush, for his failed campaign election, started blaming The Simpsons, saying, The Simpsons is responsible for the lack of family values people have. Traditional family values are gone, and it's The Simpsons to blame. People blame people like Beavis and Butthead for causing the tragic fire of a five-year-old who killed his sister in a fire, because there's an episode of Beavis and Butthead that they started yelling, Fire, fire! The U.S. government, just about a month before this hearing, released the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act, which introduced a free strike policy, which meant if you committed free crimes, you went to jail for life. They changed what you had to do to be on death row, so they expanded the death penalty. Generally, they were looking for a way to try and stop this crime. They were looking for people to blame for this crime. There was also the media, as I mentioned before, but they were sensationalizing this trial, or it wasn't really a trial, the Senate hearing before, you can find news clips and they're showing video games like Mortal Kombat and they're showing them at like 6 o'clock news and they're showing the decapitations, they're showing the fatalities. They don't seem to have a problem with it. They're just showing it for sensationalism, saying, is this stealing your kids' minds? If it was really bad, do you think they would have shown it on television? I somehow doubt that. The Senate hearing itself, there were certain interesting things about it which weren't quite true. Certain people online have accused it of being like completely dishonest. I watched the full thing and I think that they had their hearts in the right place, but they weren't exactly the most knowledgeable about the subject they were speaking about. The video game Night Trap, which we described earlier, using Joe Lieberman's own words, isn't exactly a violent video game. The aim of the game wasn't actually trap the co-eds, as they said, it was actually to try and save them. And it was actually just a very campy kind of video game where like it starred elizabeth berkeley who was the from saved by the bell and showgirls and it wasn't exactly horror if you've seen buffy the vampire slayer or you've seen something like that they're about a thousand times worse than this this was just like oh you're ninja vampires i'm gonna come to take your blood <laughs> so i wouldn't show a five-year-old but i would show a 12-year-old it's also important to note that Joe Lieberman got elected in 1988. His term was running out, but but nine months before he was seeking re-election, and the Republicans were being very hard on crime. Joe had only won his seat by about 10,000 votes, and the Republicans were surging in the polls because they were saying, we're tough on crime, and we're going to stop all these bad things. Joe Lieberman wanted to seem tough on crime to help with his re-election, and since video games were seen as one of the possible causes of crime, he made it an issue that he really wanted to push forward. What was quite funny during the trial was the experts seemed to really be a little bit confused about some of the terms. The University of Miami professor actually said that video games which starred ninjas made all children believe Asians are evil ninjas. I think that's a little bit incredulous. I don't think that's quite true. I mean... If anyone's played a game of ninja and has prejudice against Asians, uh, I think you're in the minority. One of the best quotes about the game Night Trap, which I forgot to mention, was it had an unprecedented level of realism. So if you've ever seen Elizabeth Berkeley in Showgirls or Saved by the Bell, I think this is the one time a project of hers could have this label stamped on it. Elizabeth, if you ever listen to this, you should put that on your CV. I think that's actually quite a good quote for you. The first school shooting we mentioned happened in 1997 and was blamed on doom but this lawsuit collapsed in 2002 and people said there just wasn't enough evidence same happened to the suit in columbine also in columbine where they were blaming doom and they also blamed duke nukem they the, they were claiming that they were completely responsible but this is a little bit doubtful 
There have been many factors over the years associated with the shootings, including the perennial 90s problems of Marlon Manson and Eminem. Even though the boys didn't listen to them, they blamed them. All that we really got out of that was a good interview for Marlon Manson and Bowling for Columbine, which you should watch. People also blamed the fact that the shooting happened on the 20th of April. And they said this was to celebrate Hitler's 110th birthday. Different people argue, were they Nazis? Were they not Nazis? A lot of people said, no, no, the boys never showed any sign of Nazism. And then one of their friends came out and said, actually, yes, they did show sign of Nazis. And Eric often did the Nazi salute. So that's one of those things that you've got different sources saying this happened or that happened. In the boys' diaries, they said that they wanted to outdo Timothy McVeigh, the, the Oklahoma City bombing. They also wanted to outdo Waco with David Koresh. So the boys seemed to have different focuses. You could put it on Doom slightly, but they just seemed to want to be massive killers. And their initial plan wasn't that you even play like a video game like Doom and shoot. They actually planned to bomb the school like Oklahoma City. So if the bombs had actually worked, they wouldn't have actually done that. I think putting all the blame on Doom in that situation is not exactly sincere or good or true. There is also the fact that they claim that Harris had built Doom of Columbine High School on his computer. No, he hadn't. That was just a rumor. He actually did make some mods and some video game levels, but none of them were like Columbine High School. There was also the case that we mentioned earlier of Devin Moore, who killed three police officers and said... Life is like a video game, and sometimes you just die. The suit by Thompson was quietly dropped because A, he didn't have a in-state lawyer's license, and B, he was accused of acting unethically and harassing the opposition lawyers. People soon started being like, well, this Thompson guy isn't a good guy in the legal community, but he still would go on to television. People would still see him as a good person, but all his lawsuits are failing, he just wasn't acting the best. Now, on the same day that Jack Thompson sued on behalf of the families in the UK for that brutal hammer and knife attack, the police came out and made a statement denying the link between the murder and the video game manhunt. They cited the reason for the murder was actually a robbery where the assailant decided to murder the boy for £75. And he believed by knocking him on the head with a hammer would just merely knock him unconscious and he would be able to take the money, and things got out of hand. And it was also noted that the person who owned the video game, Manhunt, wasn't actually the murderer, it was actually the victim. So they found the game in the victim's room. It had been wildly reported the murderer had played it and owned the game, but he actually didn't. It was the victim. Now, when summing up the case, the judge had the same opinion and did not blame the game. He said, One thing is clear. You and you alone are responsible for this prolonged, vicious and murderous attack on someone who thought of you as a friend. As we can see in all these cases that Jack Thompson put forward, none of them really seem to work and people don't really believe in him or think he's that great of a lawyer. It's important to notice the games that he attacked like Grand Theft Auto or Postal are general sandbox games. Now a game like Postal 2 can be extremely violent but what actually you can do is you it's based around mundane tasks like picking up milk or going to get a book signed. So you can actually just do these tasks without killing anyone. You actually get called Jesus Christ and it's a mode in the game where the aim is not to kill anyone. This game wasn't actually violent. Same as Grand Theft Auto. Technically in GTA, you could just take a taxi and just do taxi rides or take an ambulance and help people. 
you don't necessarily have to do anything really negative. Now in the storyline, if you do follow that, you have to do negative things, but they're within the context of a story. In, for instance, in Vice City, where a chef attacks you with a knife. If someone attacks you with a knife, violence might be the solution. It's not like it's randomized chaos. It's just violence within context of the story. The reason we focus so much on Jack Thompson is his story is actually quite compelling to me because he actually truly believed in what he was, his crusade. He actually believed in this. And the reason we can say he believed in this he wrote an open letter based off uh, Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal, which he called A Modest Video Game Proposal. He said if someone could create, manufacture, distribute, and sell a video game in 2006 that allows the player to play a scenario that he had written in which the character kills video game developers, he will donate $1,000 to a charity of Paul Ebler, who was Take-Two Interactive, the people who distributed Grand Theft Autos, and $1,000 or $10,000 to a charity of his choice. So in this game, he described, you must kill Paula Ebel of Take This, so a clear parody. And you must kill them, their, her husband, her kids. You must urinate on their severed brain stems, then kill Paula's lawyer, beat up store managers who sell video games to underage users, then finally go to E3 and blow up the entire thing, killing all games executives. Now, the reason why he did this was he believed the video games industry, like uh, the tobacco industry in the 1970s, knew that video games were violent and they caused violence. And he believed that if you had a game which actually killed video game producers, the video game producers would fear for their lives and would refuse to make this game. He thought these people would be so much in fear that they wouldn't be able to do it. Therefore, he would win and people would see violent video games. These people wouldn't touch it. But unfortunately for Mr. Thompson, a couple of years before in the game Postal 2, which he had actually mentioned, you can go into the running for scissors office and you can kill the entire staff who have their real faces. So this was already used in a video game. Coincidentally, a month before, people had modded GTA San Andreas, a mod called defamation of character a jack thompson murder simulator and this was a remarkably similar scenario to the one thompson had proposed where you have to go around murdering people in the video game industry the game described it as jack thompson becomes a manchurian candidate because he watched so many video game clips he decides to kill so he goes around and he tries to murder video game executives now thompson saw this and he freaked out and he said, no, 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 this isn't exactly what I described, so I'm not giving the money to you. A team of, and they described themselves as consisting of free alcoholics and a foreign exchange student, formed a company called Thompsonsoft and created I'm OK, a murder simulator. In January 2006, the entire game was based off what Jack Thompson had proposed. Now, Jack Thompson, being a very sore loser, said that the head of Take-Two, Paul Ebler, hadn't actually picked a charity, so he wasn't going to give money. And he also threatened Thompson Soft of stealing his name and threatened them with a lawsuit. Although they said that they, he never sued them directly, their original web host got rid of their game because they felt that they were going to be sued. Now, into this comes the website Penny Arcade, who decided that since Jack uh, Thompson wasn't going to pay, they're going to pay on his behalf. So they donated $10,000 the Entertainment Association Foundation 
which is just off the Entertainment Software Association. And they left a note saying it was on behalf of Jack Thompson. And they wrote about this in uh, Penny Arcade and the website Joystick. Jack Thompson got very mad and threatened to sue them if they didn't take down the stories or else. He said it was a form of harassment and extortion. And he went to the FBI, the Washington State Legislator, and the Seattle PD saying, you need to arrest these people. Now, the only people who replied were the Seattle PD, who said they had received Thompson's complaint, but viewed it as a civil matter. So this completely collapsed. Now, we're going to talk about what the science says about violent video games. Now, this is very tricky because the science here can be a little bit divided. So for every article I found that said video games cause violence, there was another article that said they didn't. So I'm just going to tell you the best ones that I found. Jan B. Funk and her colleagues in the Department of Psychology in the University of Toledo looked at the relationship between violent media and desensitization in 4th and 5th grade pupils. Funk found the exposure to violent video games actually caused these kids to have lower empathy and more strong pro-violent attitudes. But at the same time in the same year, the University of Westminster released a study saying Japanese youth became less violent when they played video games. So you can see it's a bit tit-for-tat for every study. There's another study. Maybe it's just Japanese kids, but I can't really see them being less violent than other people. Maybe I'm wrong. Then a person called Whitney DeCamp, who is an associate professor of psychology in Western Michigan University, said, The evidence points to no relationship between video games and violent behavior. And if there is a link, it's an insignificant one. The Attorney General of Australia said that there was equally no link between video games and violence unless the people already were predisposed to violent personality traits. So if these people were aggressive or psychotic, then yes, if they played video games, they could become violent. But it was also seen as they were probably going to become violent anyway, and video games weren't really the cause of the violence. Uh, to directly quote, he said, Looking at these two things in a vacuum isn't really fair. Kids who play violent, brutal video games probably have a predisposition towards this aggression. Now finally, in 2002, the US Secret Service did a study on 41 individuals who had been involved in school shootings, and they found only 12% had actually been attracted to violent video games, while 24 had been attracted to violent books, and 27 had been attracted to violent films. Here we can see some people are saying that it's like predisposed. Other people can say, you know, it's not really. And other people are saying that it's already affected them because it's predisposed. And this isn't really, it's not video games responsibility. Now, the reason I stopped the story in 2005 is the narrative largely changed. So we'll continue the story, but we can see the way people describe violent video games now aren't the same as they did during the 2000s. So there was two major shootings in the United States in 2012, which are Sandy Hook and the Aurora Cinema shooting. When both of these happened, people were looking for a person to blame. And previously when they had violent video games, now the debate was focused on gun control. As you can imagine, because it was focused on gun control, the vice president of the NRA came out and said, Adam Lanza, the Sandy Hook shooter, have been influenced by violent video games. It was violent video games solved to try and uh, deflect the blame from NRA and gun control, which he was involved in. But it's when the police released the list of games that Adam Lanza played, 
There were some violent games like Grand Theft Auto and Call of Duty. Most of the game were non-violent in games like Kingdom Hearts or games which don't involve that much violence of a theme. And his friends said his favorite game, the game he played 90% of the time, was Dance Dance Revolution, which is like a non-fighting cabinet game where you just dance. So that doesn't exactly fit the narrative that previously went before. The Aurora shooter, the same focus was on gun control. And the experts brought up in the media to talk about violent video games at the time weren't exactly the best people. For a lot of the experts, if you look at the clips, were still speaking about games like Doom or Mortal Kombat that had come out over 20 years before. Their data was a little bit out of touch, and if you read the magazines or articles at the time about this shooting, if you look up any of these uh, tragedies and video games after it, you'll find the articles written about them are all debunking it, saying, nope, no connection. Well, if you look up articles from 2005 or 2002, they blame violent video games. So there was a change in narrative. I presented this in such a way that you have to ask yourself now, do you think that they were scapegoated? And I'd love to hear from you. Are violent video games responsible for violence or are they not? Again, love to hear from you. I am at scapegoatpod at Twitter. But before we finish, I thought you might want to hear what happened to the two main people in our story, Joe Lieberman and Jack Thompson. Joe Lieberman did get re-election in 2004, and in 2000, he ran as vice presidential candidate of the Democratic Party with Al Gore, and he lost. He was also involved with different, for instance, scandals to do with video games. He went against Grand Theft Auto for the Hot Toffee mod. Few people have heard it was just like, a sex minigame which was removed from GTA San Andreas, but that's for another day. And he retired from politics in 2013. He had a long political career. Maybe attacking violent video games helped him in 1994 and helped his career. Who knows? And the second person, Jack Thompson. Jack ended up being disbarred in 2009 with a lot of accusations against him. Jack Thompson seems like quite a litigious figure, so... I'm just going to say this now. Jack, if you're listening, my name is Milos Zeman. I live in Praha 1 in Vyšerad, Česky Republiky, Europe. Write to that address if you want to sue someone. I am legitimately Milos Zeman. And if people tell you that, hey, at the start he said his name was Luke, that was a joke. Uh, my name is really Milos. Trust me on that. Please trust me. Now, that's the end of the podcast. Uh, Next episode, I'm thinking of covering Guy Fox or uh, Mrs. O'Leary's Cow, which are two big scapegoats from history. But I'd like to hear from you. If anyone has any ideas on what I should cover, please get in contact. Again, uh, that is scapegoatpod at Twitter. So thanks for hearing me out and uh, hope you have a lovely day. Bye bye.